Live from the Table, the official podcast of the world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog, and wherever podcasts are available. This is Dan Natterman. I'm joined in studio with Maddie Wiener. Hello, thank you for she, having she's me. She's a comedian, and she is, uh, yeah, she's a comedian, and she's in studio, but <laughs> nobody else is in studio, because Noam's in Wells, Maine, at his summer home, the near in the Kennebunkport area. Not my summer home. <laughs> I'm renting, I'm renting. Uh, 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 renting a space for two weeks. Well, be that as it may, he's in Maine. And Periel is in her, uh, you know, summer home, a- a- annual August getaway in, in uh, Bat Yam, Israel, I believe it is. No, I'm not in Bat Yam. Jesus Christ. She wouldn't be quite dead in Bat Yam. You know, people that are Israeli apparently look down at Bat Yam, but uh, she's. Uh, I mean, it's like being in Staten Island. But no, like that? the Jersey Shore. Knows, uh, my, my mother in law lives in Staten Island. Okay, that's fine, but you're not going vacationing there, are you? Bayam is nice. It's like a you know south of Tel Aviv. It's nice. Anyway, let's not get bogged down in uh, Israeli geography. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we have a uh, who's coming on? Uh, Lenny Aronson will be joining us in a bit. But before that, oh, have... so Louis Louise a- Professor Louise Aronson and hi Maddie, nice to Dan. Are, are you an imbecile? So listen, I've, 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 <laughs> I have a sentimental attachment to Batyam because when I was in college, I spent a semester in Israel and I got offered a job in the hotel, the Marina Hotel in Batyam to, to play. They were going to put me for the whole summer as a, guitar, as a guitarist. And it was mm-hmm. with my, my, my like Simon and Garfunkel guy with me. And he was homesick, so we didn't take the gig. But anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, How have you all- never told me that? First of all, uh, no, my uh, Maddie, I don't know if you're aware the other night they did. Uh, were you involved with the Regal Theater thing? No, but I heard about it. Well, the other night they did what they did is they 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 sort of simulcast or whatever the word would be a comedy seller show to 48 theaters at the Regal Theater chain across the country. And uh, I want I'm wondering how it went. Well, Dan. You might have cleared this with me before we got on the air. Um. It, I, I don't know how it went because, first of all, it definitely wasn't 48 theaters because the one in the Rochelle had a had something crash, and the one here in in not in Maine but just south of here in New Hampshire that I that I had planned my whole trip around canceled the show because uh, they wanted to make more room for Barbie and Oppenheimer. So I actually don't know how it went, but I, I heard that where some people I know saw it in New York, it was it was very good. But I don't think it was a big draw around the country. I, uh, some people on my team would like to say that's because of Barbie and Oppenheimer. But I, uh, I think it may not be that. I think it may just not be a, an idea that e- either is a good idea or it may take a while to actually catch on. Okay, so it's not, uh, it's not for sure that you're going to do another round or we, that, that's not for sure? Um, you know, that's a good question. So, so this is the first time since I started out in show business, as it were, like in the Cafe Wad. It's the first time I ever actually took a loss uh, on any any. Now, this wasn't my idea. I'm not trying to worry about it, but it wasn't my idea. So, so I, I I can rationalize it to myself. But it's the first time anything I did lost money, and it's. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it bothers me. The money is it's not a lot of money. The money's not what's bothering me. I don't love that. But it's really, it's really honestly, sincerely not what's bothering me. It's just that I found myself doing this when I 
you know, I don't know. I kind of, it's like I kind of saw it coming and didn't get out of the way. My phone's sick. So anyway, I, you know, I try to. I'm very frank, Dan. I, I probably shouldn't be so frank uh, on these shows and stuff like that, but um, that's the way I feel about it. It's like it, it didn't. It was. It didn't go like it should have. All right. Well, um, you, you know, every every great businessman, uh, you know, uh, has some losses. So you got it out of the way. And uh, anyway, um, so we won't discuss it further, I suppose. My, I don't mind. I mean, Other than the fact have... that, you know, I'll be happy to do the next one. I don't know what your criteria are for for who gets on the show. Oh, but as he booked the show, okay. it wasn't about the show. The show was actually quite good as far as I could tell. And people in the theater were laughing. There's a question about whether or not, since everybody has unlimited access to comedy all the time on their phones, on their TVs, on YouTube, it's just like whether or not people want to pay for anything, let alone go to the movie theater. I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I think maybe it would be better to have like a midnight or 11 o'clock Saturday night nasty show. In movie theaters, like just really filthy. Maddie, comedy. can you bring the nasty if needs be? I would. That's my favorite thing in the world. I'm excited to be here. I just moved to New York. I actually broke up with my boyfriend to move cities. Um, but no, my my friends tried to like talk me out of it. They're like, "This is a bad move." I had a friend who was like, "She was like, I'm in a long distance relationship. You should try it. It's awesome." And I was like, "I thought you were in an open relationship." And she was like, "Yeah, we're open and long distance." And I was like, "Oh, so you know a guy? That's cool." Um, <laughs> never see him and you never fuck him like I'm dating your boyfriend too that's not an exclusive club at all <laughs> I also made the mistake after the breakup of like trying to go to guy friends for advice and it was not it did not translate every single one of them was like you know what you gotta do you gotta get out there you just gotta like go fuck somebody and I was like yeah that's not how it, like I'm a woman we don't you don't get to you don't go you just kind of like get fucked it's really not it's not a comeback move like like I've never wiped cum off my tits and been like I can do anything that is not the vibe at all I would describe it as contemplative that's more accurate it would be cool if that like sort of paved the way for like people releasing specials in theaters again and having yes. premieres that would be kind of incredible to see that happen in stand-up yeah so the conversation I had with the guys afterwards I said we Oh, we now we have a pipeline into movie theaters. The question is, did we present what's best at that? And one of the things, exactly what you said, I said, maybe we should do some specials, like, you know, premiere in movie theaters, especially some people with a name. They can get some kind of buzz one one night only, and then they can still release it into, you know, streaming or whatever it is, just like the movies are then released to streaming. And there's a lot of people with names that would be able to draw. And the economics are... I mean, they could actually make a lot of money, but even if they didn't make any money, it's still kind of cool. And there's not much there's not much loss because you can't record it. You can't, you know, it's, it really is one and done. So live streaming you know, in the movies, new specials, or like I said, I would think there's a market for dirty for dirty stuff in in Montreal at the at the Just for Laughs festival. The nasty show is always like ten times a hotter ticket than any other show. It's just everybody likes that stuff. SD put me on the ten. PM, uh, what's that called? The uncensored show? I don't know. Yeah. 
She calls yeah. it like late night uncensored. It was last Tuesday, I think, or two yeah. Tuesday, a few Tuesdays ago. You don't have any dirty jokes. I do, but you know, I'm not, I'm not nasty per se. I, I have some nasty stuff, but also every show is uncensored. You know. Well, so. this is supposed to supposed to emphasize. Right, the emphasis uh, of the nasty. Well, I was as nasty as I could be. You know, I don't get that nasty. Ma Maddie, you are a recent comedy seller person. Yeah, like uh, three weeks in, I think. I'm definitely a baby here. <laughs> yeah, ST's raving about you. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah that's so cool. Are you Thank doing, you. are you emceeing or doing regular spots? No, or? it's just been spots. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, um, are there, are there people that are passed just to emcee or, uh, you know, is that there is a distinction? I mean, the Ray Allen spot. Well, whatever. I mean, are there people that that you wouldn't, you know, if they said, yeah, I don't feel like I'm seeing anymore. I want to do regular spots. And you would be like, oh, I don't know. No, I think all the MCs do regular spots. We have we have had I, Ray, Ray doesn't uh, put in for regular spots. But uh, he's the only one, I think, who has no has never does a regular spot. Well, he he, he enjoys them. Actually, I don't know if Artie used to do regular spots. Has he done them lately? I don't know. Um, Maddie Wiener's actually a name. Uh, that's in my family. My my um, my father's sister married a wiener. Really? Yeah. <laughs> also Jewish. That's correct. Yeah. A lot of people don't like realize it's a Jewish name, and to me, I'm like, that's like. Well, are there any way that I'm Jewish? Are there any wieners that aren't Jewish? That's a was good the My, was the Meyer Wiener family Jewish? Probably. I mean, they're <laughs> in the Frankfurter business, but <laughs> maybe maybe not. The and, and, was oh. Anthony Wiener? Well, what was Jewish. that guy? Yeah, now, is have it, you now have you ever thought of because it is an odd name? Yeah. Uh, changing it. <laughs> yeah, I had, especially when I was a kid. And then I think I got some like pushback from family of like, it's your heritage and blah, blah, blah. And now I think it's like, all right, maybe a little too late to change it. Like I've been in the world being this person. And for comedy, it's for like, comedy. It works. It, works, it yeah. works. But this is the one time. But do you think John Stewart Leibowitz <laughs> had he just been had he been had he kept Leibowitz? Do you think? He would have gotten as far. Yeah, like would it help or hurt? I'm I'm going to go so far as to say it would have. No, I I don't think he he would have gone as far. I think somebody would have probably told him to to lose the Leibowitz, but he was like a sexy guy. He was sort of selling that, and I just don't know if John Leibowitz gets the Daily Show. I just don't know. I'm not sure. I I, I think there's reason to believe that he would not. John Stewart's a little easier to say. I think I think that the suits over at Comedy Central would have or the suits even prior to Comedy Central. But he had to in order for him to get the Comedy Central show, he had to already be kind of in the running. He had mm. to be sort of in the mix and he'd already done some shows. And I don't know that he would have gotten those shows. That, that, I think second only to Woody Allen, Dan leads the world in like this Jewish neuroticism that, that he, he perseverates <laughs> on, on these issues. He's asked this question like a thousand times. I don't think times. I've asked this particular question. A yes, this particular times. question. No, oh. We've talked about whether Jon Stewart was so talented that his success was inevitable. No. You, uh, watch this. What's, watch this, uh, Maddie. Yeah. Uh, what's Woody Allen's real name? Alan Konigsberg. What's Jon Stewart's real name? John Lieber. Go, go through them all. What are the, go through them all. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> what, what all? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I know like, Ralph Lauren. Ralph Lauren. Oh, that's Ralph Lifshitz. Oh, oh. And that absolutely had to be changed because he's in fashion. Who's uh, the guy? Who, um, Ant Man. Did he change his name? Because he's Jewish. Paul Rudd. Jewish. Paul Rudd. I don't think he did. But is, but I'll tell you one thing. Andrew Silverstein ain't fucking doing that act with that name. 
Uh, Daniel, Dan, Daniel, Dan, Daniel tell, tell the, what, what are the rest of the Jewish names? You know, the original uh, the original names. Come on, you know more. I don't know all of them. Uh, I mean, I, uh, Tony Curtis, Jonah Hill, Tony Curtis is. Yeah, pff, Tony Curtis. I forgot something Schwartz. Jonah so, Hill. Uh, I don't Bernie, Bernie Schwartz, Bernie Schwartz, Bernie Schwartz. Jo Jonah Hill's not Jonah Hill. No, what, well, you'll what agree about... with me that the, that Dice had to change his name. What's Andrew Dice's place name? Andrew Silverstein. You, you, there's oh, no, oh, oh. <laughs> there's no way Andrew Silverstein comes out and goes, "Hey, your name is fucking it there." That just not. Uh, he, he, he remember Harry? He just rattled them off. He knows like fifteen of them. In any like, case, uh, you, should, you should make trading cards, like baseball cards. In any case, John. Oh, that's so good. John, what, John, what was Lenny Bruce's real name? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I know on. very little about Lenny Bruce. We're here, by the way, just to, by way of introduction, Larry Dorlowski sitting in. Maybe he'll chime in. Maybe he won't. He looks just we like Jerry Seinfeld. A few weeks ago, oh. he's a he's a, a psychiatrist and a friend of the shows. I just watched. Uh, I just watched. Oh, no way. And thumbs down, thumbs up. From a Obviously, just, can I get a diagnosis? Oh. Like, was it? <laughs> um, excellent. Good stuff. <laughs> really good stuff. I think Maddie Weiner is a fine name for somebody that's selling fun and 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 laughter. Thanks. Yeah, I have a little bit of like a bumbling fat man vibe on stage. I think that's funny. So I think the name, it's good. I'll keep it. <laughs> and, and now that I'm talking, I think John Stewart was being considered for like the Tonight Show or one of those late night things, but his Judaism got in the way of that kind of. Well, thing. I don't know. That may or may not be, but I'm just discussing the last name no, issue, and I do think it would have. I do think it would have hindered him. I think he was smart enough to know that. And I, you know, especially with what he was selling, which was sort of a sexy, cool guy. But um, but no one may or may not agree. Anyway, um, Robbie Robertson, by the way, just died. No, I don't know if you heard the news. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. For, uh, 80 years. Old. He would. Do you know who, who he is, Maddie? Um, it could be a generation. I might not. He's the lead singer of the band. You know, the band, the band. <laughs> I mean, it's a band that's called the band. <laughs> Oh, I was like, I'm so. He was, uh, you know, hmm? he was a very compelling figure in the movie, The Last Waltz, the Scorsese thing. Um, anyway, and, and, uh, and that's Randy, sad that he died. He was, a, he was a great guitar player. And Randy Meisner died a couple of weeks ago, and and Randy got almost nothing on social media compared to Sinead O'Connor and Pee Wee Herman. Well, because Randy Meisner was a, was a supporting character, right? But yes, he was. Who's heard of Randy Meisner? Is that, is that Jewish, by the way? No, he's not. I mean, it could be, but he's not. I think, I think the Meisner Technique guy was Jewish, the one who, the acting coach, Sanford anyway, Meisner, but not I mean, Randy. No. I mean, Sinead O'Connor was a, was a you know, very important pop figure. And who was the other person you said died? Pee-wee. Oh, Pee-wee Herman. Pee -wee Pee -wee Herman. Pee -wee, Paul Rubin, there's another Jewish name. He was fantastic. What a talent. Yes, but, but so was Randy Meisner. Have you, have you heard Take It to the Limit? <laughs> listen to take it to the limit did he write that or just saying he, he he well all the eagle songs i believe they credit all of them no i'm pretty sure if you look at who they credit but i think randy i think randy was the lead writer in that song and he certainly sang it and he hit those high notes at the end but... yeah he was like the, yeah but you know what the high note guy is always it's like a weird it's a weird position in those bands i'm looking it up so what is our guest coming well first of all 545 She'll be here when she's here, but we it's have five forty six now. No, I'm um, she's, she's a little tired. Yeah. You can tell her. We well, haven't finished getting to know. Maddie. Do you even know Maddie? Have you met Maddie? Uh, no, no, I've only seen her. I've, we met. Uh, do we, do we, were we introduced? 
No, I don't think we've met in person. No. So no. nice to officially meet. Well, Noam doesn't really nice about it. like Noam. Noam doesn't really you know do a meet and greet with the new comics. Estes ninety nine point ninety nine. No, no. This is the truth. Is half the time a new comic will be there, and Liz and Estes won't even introduce me. To be honest, <laughs> and then it's awkward for me. But I, I, of course, I want to meet everybody. Uh, the guest today, by the way, Matt, is she is she here? I heard a bing bing. Yeah, she's here. We can let her in there. Where's Thank Larry? You. I want to see Larry. Larry's here, but let, he's let there. Uh, this was a guest that Larry suggested, and I don't know if it's a great fit for Maddie because Maddie's young, and this is a guest that is like a geriatrician. <laughs> oh, right on. Uh, but you know, you have an old soul. Oh, thanks. I guess well, you didn't, you didn't, <laughs> I didn't know who Robbie Roberts. Yeah, she is. <laughs> but Louise Aronson, MD, MFA, which I guess is Master of Fine Arts. Yes is a leading geriatrician, as I just mentioned, writer, educator, professor of medicine at University of San, uh, California, San Francisco, and author of the Pulitzer Prize finalist, Elderhood, Redefining Aging, Transforming Medicine, and Reimagining Life. Welcome, Louise, to our show. Uh, we're here with uh, your, your friend, Larry Dulofsky. Is he your friend or is he a fan? No, I'm that a you... fan. I just emailed oh. her. <laughs> oh, okay. We well, email a little bit. <laughs> so uh, we're here with myself, Maddie Weiner. Noam Dorman and Periel Ashenbrand. So the, the gang is all here. Hi, Hi everyone. This is a very Hi. Jewish podcast. <laughs> Clearly. Uh, it just happened, <laughs> you know, I mean, Rogan does what he does and we do what we do. But um, it just happens to turn out that way that we're, we, we, we run heavily Jewish. But uh, we'll be discussing non, uh, you know, ecumenical uh, uh, subjects. Anyhow, uh, by the way, I just became a great uncle, speaking of aging, and that um sort of hit home oh congratulations yeah but it hit home because it's another generation and uh, it's my niece's daughter Baruch Hashem. yeah and uh you know I'll probably <laughs> take it easy larry please i'll probably see <laughs> one more generation after her but that's about it all right you you want to ask some questions to the guests dan well i thought maybe we get started about my great niece <clears throat> and why i should be why i should rejoice instead of lamenting uh, you know, another generation arriving. Well, I think it's generally bad practice to tell someone how to feel, so I wasn't going to go there. But um, well, my, uh, my my lived experience, unlike other people, mm -hmm. I, my lived experience is 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 tenuous and deserves to be criticized. <laughs> <laughs> but I've only known you for three minutes, like so I, I couldn't know that. <laughs> no, I mean, I hear like people talk about their lived experience. Your, your lived experience, you know, oftentimes is 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 bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> People say, well, don't tell Jews what anti-Semitism is. Well, sometimes Jews go overboard and need to be told. Cool it. You know, fucking uh, Jamie Foxx has no history of anti-Semitism. <laughs> Let it go. But people say, oh, you don't tell Jews what anti-Semitism Yeah, you should tell them when they're wrong. I think. Anyhow, Louise yeah, Aronson. But are you wrong or are you just having an opinion? I mean, I think... You know, I'm not I think saying anybody that... should be able to criticize anything. And I hate when people say you have no right to criticize my lived experience or no man should be able to tell a woman that her feelings are invalid. Well, man should be able to express his opinion. And if his opinion is ridiculous, tell him so. But, you know. Yeah, agreed. Well, I, I think there's a difference between criticism and, and commentary. But I think, you know, we all are ambivalent about growing older right? Because it's considered really negative in our society. And at the same time, the alternative is to die young. And that's hugely unattractive. So, you know, it kind of puts us all in this spot. So my thought is like, 
it's actually what we want to do, although we'd like to do it in a certain way. You know, where, where do we sign up for that? Um, but I also feel like our prejudices make it worse. They, they're sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like they make the extremes, you know, the process of aging and then certainly the extremes of old age much harder and scarier than they need to be. Um, and, and, you know, the good news, the bad news there is that it's harder and scarier than it needs to be. And the good news is we could do something about it um, with a little will, which I think might be mounting now as boomers age. They're, they're you know, not as silent as the silent generation, not as stoic as the great generation. And I think that's going to do, do some good things for the world. When I, when so I what, can, to... what can we do about it? What can we do about it? Um. Well, so for most age groups, we talk about the good and the bad. But for older people, we tend to only talk about the bad. And I'm not saying there aren't some bad things. You know, can I run the way I used to run even 10 years ago? Oh, and is that disappointing? Yes. Um, you know, there are some things that, that, that are negative about it. But there's so many good things, such as most people are happier. Most people have a much clearer sense of their priorities and how they want to spend their time. And this has been shown across countries and across income and racial groups. Now, if you're in a very poor country, is your general level of happiness lower than in a richer country? Of course, you know, so, so the data holds there. But there are some really nice things about this stage of life. But in contrast to parts of childhood and adulthood, with elderhood, we just kind of talk about the negatives. And then we also don't design a society that acknowledges the differences of age for, for good and ill, right? So then you go somewhere and you can't hear anything. So you stop going there. So then they say, oh, older people don't come here. You know, it becomes self-fulfilling. Or you go to a park and there's really cool playgrounds for kids. And, you know, there's like a, a place for pickup basketball and something else. And then, you know, for old people and, you know, what, what is old depends a little bit on where you're sitting at that moment. But, um, you know, there's benches, you know, and benches are great for all of us, but, but that's, you know, blatant discrimination there. And, and we're starting to change that. They're starting should, to be really cool be, things. What should there be? Shuffleboard? <laughs> no, but so, so you're also lumping all of old into the extremes. So one of the reasons I wanted to really get the term elderhood out there is when we say childhood, we don't just mean like little babies. We're talking babies through, you know, depending on your perspective, at least the teens, but some people seem to stay in, you know, young for, for a little longer. But when we talk about old age, we just talk about the extreme. So I wanted elderhood to be, to represent the full diversity of older people. So, you know, choose your, your moment, 60, 65, 70, and it probably depends on the person up. And there's as much variety between that 65-year-old and a 105-year-old as there is between a newborn and an 18-year-old, or between a 20-year-old and a 60-year-old. So why do we, you know, we say shuffleboard or we say benches, but there's actually decades before that in which people are physiologically old and have different social um, and personal priorities. And so, you know, like pickleball was invented for that, but now everybody's playing pickleball. So, so that's going. But there are some very cool parks, mostly in affluent neighborhoods, um, where there are actually these, these sort of sport complex things that help you work on your balance and, and really fun, you know, games and things that, that, you know, sports that people can play without risking injury. Because is the risk of injury, you know, if you play pickup basketball, hmm, you know, and some 20-year-old bunch tennis, tennis is locks into you. Tennis is a good sport for people in the age range. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I'm most worried about, oh, if I could just one, one, one quick second, Noam, if I might, is I'm worried about if I get assaulted, the headline will read, elderly man assaulted. <laughs> now, what, what, what age does well, that Well, it shouldn't now because you're not elderly, but we also well, don't know, have language, but, but right? I, I've seen 60-year-olds called elderly in the headlines. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm, well, I'm and the other weird thing is that people who are like 68 will call the 60 year old elderly, but they don't think of it for themselves. So <laughs> we need to start like living our truths and being more consistent. Like, OK, I'm an older adult now. But, you know, I mean, I'm one of the few women who doesn't dye my hair, so I look older than I am. But but I'm not old. I have a mother who's 30 years older than I am. Now she's straight up old. <laughs> you know, like that's elderly. <laughs> I, I Look, I, I just want to say, I, I, I have no ambivalence about getting older. I hate it. I, I find it unacceptable. I'm 61. I feel basically the same. I wonder sometimes, like if I woke up just like this uh, when I was 25, would I notice that I was different? I, I don't. I don't really think so. I, I, maybe I would a little bit, but I don't feel run down. I, I'm energetic. I can keep up. I'm. I'm Feeling great. The only thing is, I I don't remember names as well as I used to, and I find that mm-hmm. very very upsetting. But the idea of getting older, I find nothing does not make me happy at all. I have young kids. I dread not seeing them when they're older. I I, I know the impending health issues are going to come, and every day I'm worried about it. And um, you know, and well, it's funny to say about they should be nice to old people. There used to be a thing which like older men midlife crisis would do to make themselves feel better. And that was what they would, they would find a young girlfriend, but right. now society that's actually been going on for millennia. And yeah. it's still quite popular. But now society, society <laughs> has taken that away from them. Like that's frowned upon now. Like, and that really works, I believe. But anyway, so, so I mean, you know, pickleball is, is a poor substitute, but, but, uh, it, well, and you don't have to play pickleball. <laughs> if you feel the way you felt 40 years ago, then there's nothing wrong with being 61. Right. Yeah, I, I do. I just, I know that the end is near mm-hmm. and if not the end and the end of feeling like I did now, I already have a high percentage of people my age who have, they take, I don't take any medications. They take pills. They take they, this, they have knee problems. They've had problems. They've had surgeries. I, I, I'm not going to, it's not going to pass over me forever. You know, I, I, no. I know it. But as a society, we could be yeah. doing so much more. So instead of throwing pills at people, yeah. imagine if your health insurance covered appropriate exercise, you know, which which we know is like the best medicine for almost everything. But people don't have access to it or they don't believe it makes a difference. Now, is it going to keep you from growing old and dying? Hell no. But it's going to make you growing old a lot but better you, for a lot longer. Why do you need money for a Can't you just do, I mean, from what I've read, and I also want to ask you something else, but when I read just calisthenics and things like this are more than... Uh, that can help, but, but people don't know and believe it. And some people need coaching and assistance mm-hmm. to do this. You know, we're maybe more privileged people who grow up with access to this information, et cetera. Um, and we believe in our own agency. So maybe we do those things. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people really don't. Um, now, and that's part of the messaging and the, the cultural overlay, you know, and you really can delay a lot of the things we dread. Um, and, and, you know, will they happen eventually? Yeah. But you know, do the right things. And with a little luck and, you know, you could have another 20, 30 good years. Who knows? And that, you know, I don't know your family history either. Are you keeping up with the uh, progress of these guys? Like what's that Brian Johnson, who is trying, you know, was doing plasma, tr- plasma transplants with his son. And, and, and he's essentially throwing money at every single 
uh, harebrained uh, idea out there that might in some way reverse aging. And then right. this guy, Peter Atia has a new book out now where he really goes exactly. deep dive into longevity and, and health span as opposed to lifespan. These are exactly uh, what, what, what's your take on all these efforts? Um, I think some of, you know, there have actually been similar efforts since, you know, there's been the written word, you know, go back to ancient Mesopotamia, the Greeks, et cetera. But um, who was the explorer? Was it uh, Cortez was looking for the fountain of youth? No, yeah, Ponce yeah. De Leon, I thought. Japan Leon, yeah. Ponce de Leon, you're right, you're right, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this has been going on forever. Do I think modern science has a better chance of hitting some of these things? Yes. But, you know, then you have to think about the social and environmental implications. This is largely hyper-privileged white men trying not to die and getting very, very, very rich off other people's fear of aging and dying. Now, yeah, is that my, legit? It's my people. Is yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think one can ask some really important ethical and environmental questions about that. And it's not going to get, you know, frankly, it's not going to get figured out in time for us. So, yeah, okay, invest some of that. But if we invested that same amount of money, like billions and trillions in in other things, like getting people proper food and exercise and changing the, the ageism that is embedded in every aspect of our culture, we would reap the benefits. It would be much faster. Now, I want to I, I say, Dan, let me tell you one thing, and I'll, then I'll shut up, because this is interesting to me, because I, I feel like this overlay, and we see it almost on every subject, the whiteness, the privilege, whatever it is, it's it's so burdensome, and I it's almost become, you know, de rigueur, like like just a, a a a reflex. But, and I think this is valid. If I look back at other things, uh, the first I I had a cell phone, I guess in the late eighties, whatever it was, and I was the only one who had it. I was a hyper privileged white guy with a cell phone, but somebody and and that's who got them at first. Although I wasn't even wealthy at the time at all, but I I was one of the first people to get it. And now everybody has a cell phone. I remember my father was the first guy to have a calculator and a digital watch. And he and 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 the well-to-do white guys would be the first people to have everything, mm -hmm. everything and anything. And then through the wonders of you know progress and capitalism, in very short time, they become affordable and ubiquitous to all. And to worry about the fact that the wealthy who it's not the white, white really shouldn't bother you, but that the wealthy, because who cares what color they are, that the wealthy have access to things before the less wealthy. And then to contemplate maybe stopping it because of that will foreclose what we know is inevitable, which has got to start somewhere. And then eventually the price drops drastically and everybody gets it. I imagine many medicines, I mean, even Viagra, like, like everything that's become available to everybody at one time was was boutique and expensive and privileged. I don't see why that's something to beat ourselves up about. Can't, it can't yeah. be any other way. I guess my my problem with it, I mean, it could be any other way. You know, it can't. No, it can't. Sexism and racism. It could no, be. It everybody can, had no, equal opportunities. It, it can't. But it's be, not going to no, be. No, right? but it can't be any other way because the the, the cost of a, to build a cell phone initially mm -hmm. is by, has to be expensive. It can't. Mm -hmm. It can't be immediately cheap and and distributed to the planet Earth. No, I'm not saying it that. Like to, the income part, any, yeah, has to be. But who yeah. who has the 
well, anyway, that, this is a whole yeah. other conversation yeah. from aging. But yeah. I guess I would say we know lots of things that could help pretty much everybody age better. And instead of investing in those things, we're investing billions and trillions, so much more money in these outlier things. Right. And that's because people find those things interesting or because of, you know, self-interest or whatever. But if you were really picking what to do for the greater good, you would not pick that. What would you pick? Oh, you would pick like universal exercise and access to good food and um, a better sense of who you are, like getting people over age 60 to have a clear sense of purpose, which helps, you know, stopping things that are leading to greater social isolation, which leads to horrible morbidity and mortality. There are so many things and there, there are even programs once you reach that phase of frailty, you know, and I, I agree with Atia that like if we could expand the health span, that's just good for everyone. Right. And of course, some people are going to do that first. Um, and if, if they're willing to, you know, try these things out, terrific. That's helpful to everyone. I agree. Whether whether it'll, you know, it'll come true in our lifetimes, I'm not sure. Some but of the that, things work, some don't. But we have a lot of proven programs that help people age um, well, and we do not pick them up. Instead, we invest in little molecules that people can take um, that will cost a fortune um, and, you know, won't help most of us in our lifetimes. Right. And I maybe just, that's just the way progress is, but but I don't think it's the ethical approach. Right? Yeah, I just um, first of all, it's a pleasure meeting you. In this yeah, you too. <laughs> um, I just wanted to touch back on Noam, your ongoing fear and uh, upset about uh, aging, and, and one of the things that was really significant for me in reading your book and in um, the definition of the term elderhood and childhood, adulthood, elderhood is the significant portion of time in our lives that elderhood involves. And that um, by using resources in a positive way, we can make that significant portion better. And it, I, I'm for, for in, in terms of child uh, childhood, which I guess goes to adolescence, I, I'm an eye for one. I don't know other people's experiences. I hated high school. It was horrible. It was torture. It was a torturous period for me. It was absolutely horrible. Mine was horrible too, but it was the best years of my life. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> really? I'm, I'm oh, I'd so I'm much kidding. rather be in my 60s than my teens. It was the best of times and the worst of times. My, my uh, high school experience. Uh, it had uh, moments of great high school. Let Larry Larry's make his speaking, point. Larry's on point. Now. Speaking, yes. speaking of physical ills, you know, I had acne and I was like, you know, geek. I mean, things were sprouting all over the place and my coordination was absolutely horrible. So uh, there are absolutely periods of those other two hoods that I found to be really, really negative. And I fully expect that in elderhood, I'm going to find a lot of things that are negative. But one of the things that the book was so meaningful for me was pointing out the areas in which elderhood can be a positive part of your life. And it's an, it's going to happen and it's a big chunk. I've never thought of it as such a large chunk. Mm. I want to loop Maddie in because she's been sitting patiently and... <laughs> I don't know if you find this interesting. No, I find it fascinating. How, how, well, you're 30? I'm 24. 24. What do you so, know? I'm, Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting what you were saying about like a sense of purpose, because like I feel like stand up has changed the way that I think about aging, because like as a woman, 
I think you're very, you're taught to be very scared of aging because you're like, well, your core value to the world is your sex appeal. And you're going to quote unquote, lose that as you age. But with stand up, it's like, I can't wait to be in my fifties. I will have been doing it 30 plus years. Like my favorite thing will, it's something that grows as you age instead of like declining. So it's kind of made me like look at those years of my life differently than I think I would if I were a woman in a different field. Uh, I maybe. think, I think you, you should look, That's you, know, interesting. you can look forward to the future, but never wish time to pass. I, I think <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good general rule. You know, I mean, but it's good to know that something might be better. Yeah, it's going to build. It's sure, not just going to be but, like and, and women like after menopause, on the one hand, you can you can still be sexy. Is it the same as being the new bio 20, whatever you're old? Of course not. It's different. But but there's also like people describe in, in huge numbers and in many studies, a relief that you can only get to a certain place and not having to worry about that. You know, it, it's just worrying about who you are. Um, how you feel, what you can do is actually hugely liberating for many women. Mm. So they they sort of love the postmenopausal phase once the horrors and shock, you know, like I don't want to pretend that's a lot of fun either, but but uh but but then there is this good part, right? So it's it's not all one or the other. It, do we find that women uh, that aging is more difficult for them because of what Maddie was saying, because uh, physical beauty is 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 so important? in our society, in every society, and maybe yeah. in nature. I, I don't know. I probably, oh, definitely. You know, so are women, do they have a more difficult time coping with aging than men for that reason there, or not? Yeah, well, there's a lot of pressure, you know, with the, the hair dye, and the, you know, and for the book, I actually stopped dyeing my hair and it's hard every day, right? Because you're in rooms and you look old, you know, you know everybody's dying their hair and <laughs> you look older than they do. And that everything tells you, everything about our culture says that's bad. So it's tough, but you know, there's a bunch of people trying to do a revolution. So, so anyway, so you take it. You hit, have but... very good skin. I mean, we are communi communicating via Zoom, but mm -hmm. then, as I can tell, you, yeah, you, you, you. I wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm fit and healthy and was old just because of your hair color. Well, you also in the book you point out. Well, they always want to help me out of the grocery store. I'm like, really? God, you see my muscles. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> in the book you point out that a lot of. Uh, of these uh, <laughs> commercial things are, are defined as being anti-aging mm, and that right. that in and of itself defines aging. It's sort of like anti-cancer. It's this. Right. Hard well, a lot of things are like, if they're good, they're called useful, youthful, right? So feel young again, instead of like, feel good, feel good at 60, <laughs> feel good at 70, feel good at 80, which is what we all want because you know, you can say 50 is the new 30, but there is anybody who has lived to be 50 knows that is just a crock, <laughs> right? It's different, but some things are better, right? And we just don't let ourselves enjoy them. And that ticking clock, yeah, you know, you wouldn't necessarily sign up for it, but it works in life much as it works in a movie or in a novel, which is that as the end gets closer, the people who are happiest use that knowledge to make better decisions. Mm. So the choices they make um, are more consistent with their values, with what's more meaningful. And most people have already raised their kids. So that sandwich pressure of career, children, maybe aging parents is gone. And there's this time where like, I could kind of do anything. And you can be ambitious that, in different ways. People who made money do art. People who did art decide to become entrepreneurs. Like it's a time to reinvent yourself. We have these like extra 20 or 30 years. What are we going to do with them to have fun? Matt, Maddie is 24. Right. I want to know uh, briefly. I, 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 I just want to pour cold water on this whole Pollyannish conversation 
and say that there's nothing better in my life about being 61. It's not, it's not tremendously worse. It's not tremendously worse. I'm not, I'm not, but I don't, I can't think of one thing. I said, well, thank God I'm not 40 again. I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was 16, 17, I might've been an idiot. And maybe in my late twenties, I, I did well, but I, but I uh, was uh, impetuous and maybe I, I would like to have some of the wisdom, but I'm telling you something, 35 to 45. This is a fantastic yeah. But Sweet not everybody spot. is a nightclub owner, Noam. Not everybody's on yeah. stage playing guitar. This book, if <laughs> right. I, I, is there an asterisk on your book? Except for... Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, erase that in some copies, but don't be fooled. Um, But what I would say is that you're actually doing yourself a disservice. So in the first place, you're at the very beginning of elderhood. But there's a woman at Yale called Becca Walk that off. Who's done? (laughs) No, no, no. It's good to be a baby elder, right? Um, So you've got the whole thing ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) It it depends a bit. but, but she, Becca Levy has done decades of research, and there are tons of others, too. She's just the most well-known. Um, and attitudes about aging actually determine how you age. So people who have negative attitudes like yours um, will get <laughs> Alzheimer's earlier. And that's oh, no, no, in no, your cerebrospinal no. fluid. Mm-hmm. You have the heart attack seven years earlier, <laughs> right? And you're less happy. So you, you know, we're not being well, that's my one Achilles I'm either. not saying it's all good, but you're saying it's all bad. And I'm saying that's not true. And it may be lethal to you. Now you just supercharged it. Yeah, but that just, <laughs> I mean, how do you, if you're a person that's truth negative by nature, telling them being negative is going to kill you. I don't think that's going to help. Hold on. I'm not negative by nature. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. What I'm not able to do, in my opinion, is convince myself to put on this happy face on something and and work myself into a kind of what i consider to be like a false sense of euphoria or or optimism whatever i'm not negative and i'm not pessimistic i'm just saying that there's nothing that i prefer about being older and i have trouble yeah but this is better i'm wiser i'm like it it I, I'm not I'm not able to talk myself into that. No, I'm, not pes- so cal- I'm not. What does it have to be better? Yeah. It might just be fine. And yeah, that's fine. okay too. <laughs> if I put it's together fine. everything Noam yeah. said, my conclusion is he hates his kids. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love my no, kids. No, no, because you say your life's not better, yet you have kids now and they're young kids. Well, okay. You so didn't have absolute- kids when you were 40. I get it. I get a, a deep, a deep, deep satisfaction as a parent that I never had when I wasn't a parent. But of course, I'm an old parent. That's not, that's not, an age, that's not related to a particular stage of aging. As a matter of fact, I might even be less psychologically healthy now if my kids, if I was an empty nester and, and looking at what I'm, at least I actually do really, 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 truly have something to get up for every day that occupy much more than like thousand to one the business has. Like just, I worry about my kids and every little thing about them. And that actually does give me something to live for. And that's, that's awesome. nice. But yeah, but that's, that's but again, good that's, for not, your that's, that's, that's very good. It's not about age, but it's, but it's, that's real. But that's I'm, still not better than chasing booty when you were 40. No, it, it is better, but, but um, it, it is better. It is better. <laughs> yeah. 
Could I, Matt, Maddie, please, please. I, well, what we were saying you earlier, the res- perspective of the younger generation. <laughs> well, like the the whole debate that we were having of like not to get it back to the privilege aspect of it, but just the thing of like like the the length of life versus versus the depth of life, if that's a way to put it. Like I was reading this. Um, have you read uh, How to Do Nothing by Jenny O'Dell? It's called How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy. And she has this really, really interesting quote where she's talking about how, you know, if if that kind of, you know, driving force of people trying to live forever is to have like infinite moments in your life. She's like, well, if you really pay attention and are present, you can have like infinite moments in an hour, in a minute. Like essentially you can make your life feel infinite on the on the Y axis instead of the X axis if that. Makes sense. Like, can my you friend- explain the axes to Perry Alford? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my friend had this like this app on his phone that showed him like you use Instagram for a week and then at the end of it, it, it tells you how many years of your life you'll spend on Instagram if you keep going at it the same way. And it was going to be like he's also in his 20s and it was going to be like 18 years of his life was going to be spent looking at Instagram before he died. And it's like, yeah, you could try to tack on another 20 at the end or you could fix what you're doing now and get another 20 years of life in the life you already have, if that makes I sense. I guess you could also take less naps, maybe. But it, <laughs> no, because that, that's something that could add a couple, tack a couple years of living on, I suppose. But it brings on, bad sleep brings on Alzheimer's. But it just seems interesting to aging. I said less like, napping. I didn't say cut your sleep. But, well, it's related. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you don't look at those, like, whatever last 20 years of your life as lost time, but as, like, another 20 years, I don't know. It's just, like, an interesting way to look at it as, like, well, felt that, like that book kind of tied into what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and you're so right. You know, we now live 20, 30, 40, depending on where you live and who you are, years longer than, than we did, you know, that people did in the U.S. a century ago. So the question is, what are you going to do with those years? Some people are having kids. You know, some people are having different careers. Some people are just enjoying life without the usual stressors. I mean, what I find a lot of people do as they move into those years is they do all the things that my friends and colleagues are always complaining they don't have time for, but make them happiest. Well, <laughs> you know, so like- that makes people happy. Yeah, well, we have a doorbell yes. going off, but Maddie, yeah, go ahead. Do you think that people are like, have you found that when people become more comfortable with aging, they also become more comfortable with the idea of death? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. And sometimes people are more comfortable with death. Um, in medicine, that's certainly true. A lot of people, uh, well, not a lot of people, but relatively more people have gone into sort of hospice and palliative care than into geriatrics because there are things about aging that I think people find more scary. It's also long. It's really varied. Whereas death, if you can help someone do it well, it's this is totally crass, but it is kind of like a checkbox. Like, oh, this thing had to happen. It wasn't a good thing, but I made it happen well, and so I feel good. You know, it's just cleaner and neater and, and you have that sort of sooner gratification. So some people are more comfortable, but but as they age, you know, I, I see huge variability. Some people are okay with death, particularly really old people. Like old people are like, do I want to die? No, but I'm in my 90s. So I wouldn't be surprised and I don't think it would be a tragedy. <laughs> you know, so some of them have true wisdom and other people are scared out of their minds. To me, I'm everything scared. that's scary about death is associated with burial. Think about it. Rotting corpses, uh, coffins, <laughs> tombstones, cemeteries, every, right? All the horrible shit. If, but see, you're I, dead I, for that. It's, this, it's the shit that comes I, before that think, that scares me. I don't want to be in pain or like lying in my own. But I'm saying the no, cremation. No. 
cremation, <laughs> you know, uh, seems okay. If, you know, that's like you're not even dead. You're just not there. You're not rotting. There's no tombstone. Yeah. Uh, but if you're I, rotting and don't know you're rotting, it's sort of like the I tree. Know, in I'm the thinking about forest. it. <laughs> I'm saying it. What's daunting about it, you know, when you think of anyway, Maddie, do you have these thoughts? So you're at 24. I think it's called fanatophobia, right? Fear of death. Is yeah, that yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think you think you have a whole library about fanatophobia. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> I'm a very anxious. Person. I, I think it's fanatophobia. I, I just pulled mm -hmm. that out of my ass. Well, you know, you know, uh, you, you remember. Uh, oh, fuck, what's his name? Uh, uh, remind me, am I wrong? Is it called fanatophobia? Oh, yeah, yeah. What if Tom Green. Not... All right, you got me. You got me. You got me. Tom, <laughs> Tom Green was here at the cellar um, and he's, I guess, a little bit north of my age or maybe he is my age. I don't know. But you remember Tom Green from the night. Do you remember him, Matt? Matty? He's a guy from the 90s. Anyway, he was a big, big star in the 90s. He sort of faded away a little bit. But now I guess he has a podcast that's very popular. Anyway, he was on stage. And he says, you know what? He, he said to a young person, he says, you know what? I don't have the fears that you have. I don't I don't fear, you know, like dying young. Eh, not going to happen to me. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think, I, think, uh -huh. I think that some people um, have that attitude. I mean, once you once you're, you know, once you're a certain age, you're not going to die young anymore. So I don't know if that's helpful at all. All right. But let me tell well, what's you. What's young? If you died now, wouldn't you feel like you died too young? Yeah, you didn't die young like Batty Young, but it's well, still too soon. Okay. It's not. Yeah, it's not. But it's not a horrific tragedy. I want it, to explain it's bad, something. It's too soon. But it's not a horrifying tragedy. Either. Let me explain you something know. to all of you, including yeah. Larry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Your your correlation is not causation. This is what it is. Go ahead. Because I've seen this in person. Certain people have certain innate optimistic outlooks on life, and certain people have certain innate pessimistic outlooks on life. And whatever stage of life they're in, that becomes the causation for it. So the, the people who are really unhappy about getting old, they were unhappy about something else in their 40s. They were unhappy about something else in their 30s. They were unhappy about something else in their 20s. I known people, two of them, because one of them who died, and one who we know him, Hatem, the heart transplant. These were people who, were, for long periods of time, were living with horrible, uh, uh, deadly diseases. You know, day to day, these people were happy. They were cheerful. They were friendly. You call them up, they would talk about the weather. Meaning, like you know, they weren't like you know talking about sure. their health all the time. They, how you doing? I mean, just just amazing. And I and I used to think it was strength. Like, how do they get the strength to be that way? And then it, it occurred to me, that's just the way they are. And and I think that so much of everything in life, and we learn this more and more, is just about our innate dispositions. And my disposition is, you know, just it's just not great for but this no, kind of but thing. Studies over the lifetime do su suggest from everything I've read that people fear death less when they're in their 70s and 80s than those same people. Yeah, did in their in their twenties and thirties. They I might. Was, be well, okay, then maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're. I think you're well, right. And you're wrong. Exclusive. Yeah. I think yeah. you're right in that. Insofar as yeah, certain people like hot tab and people that have amazing dispositions, no matter what life throws at them. Yeah. But I also think that people are more accepting of death as they age. In general. No, but don't you? But don't you think that when you're put into a position like hot that suddenly you appreciate things more that maybe somebody like you takes for granted. And I don't mean you specifically Robert, necessarily. You'd be right if no. you meant me specifically. He, he has a disposition. <laughs> I'm telling you, he has a disposition. I would kill for this disposition. We've all known people like that. 
Look at Dan. Do you think if Dan was walking around with an LVAD, he would be what? somehow with a what? Was that what he called an LVAD? Ventricular like assistive device. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, be I mean, waiting for a <laughs> transplant, waiting for that, and worrying about the power <laughs> going out in this building because you know they have like like who could live with this stress? Dan would be fit to be tied. Dan would be morose. Dan, like he, you know, he, he'd probably be funnier than ever, but he, he would not be positive about it. It's not in him to be positive. It's just not. And I don't Magic, think. Wait, you're you're also suggesting that nobody can change ever. And, uh, and yes, 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 we do I have am. an innate disposition, <laughs> and people can learn and grow. I don't believe they change really. I mean, I can't say nobody, but not a lot. It's, it's if when somebody actually changes. I mean, you know. Changes is an interesting word. Can they, through self-discipline, display difference? Or even feel. Yes. Yeah, I agree. You're still in in Inside, you're like, ah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not everybody. Uh, but it I'm takes not, a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. I have a question maybe, related to, oh, sorry. Madeline? I, I actually think, Madeline? I thought Madeline, Madeline? and I think that change is easier <laughs> in the negative direction. I think trauma, having something do something terrible to you, this can change you in a way that you never come back to your better self, the mm -hmm. opposite is much harder. Like if you if you if you if you uh, adopt a pet that's been beaten, you know, eventually maybe you can get them to be better. But it's way easier to 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 create the scared pet and traumatize the rest of its life. That life is like that. So go ahead. Sorry, Maddie. Madeline, I was going to mm -hmm. ask. We were talking about like the different attitudes towards it. I'm curious if you found that people have different attitudes towards aging depending on if their religious beliefs lead them to believe there's an afterlife. Maddie's like if they see it, it as a transitional phase, no, you're or like, killing it when you smash the last these one. The for best, real? Okay, cool. These are the best yeah. questions we've got. We've oh, got really good my ones. opinion. <laughs> I'm genuinely like really curious because like oh, if you saw aging as like just the next step till forever, then it doesn't seem like as big of a deal. But if you see it as like the final encore, that's like a pretty big, that's a lot of pressure. Right. Yeah. That's a, that. Yeah. Another great question. And, um, Yes and no. It's so interesting. People, a lot of people do find solace in thinking there's something else, but that doesn't necessarily eliminate their fear of death because you don't really know what that other thing is. It's, it's a belief more than a like, oh, I'm moving to, you know, Boston, you know, <laughs> of what Boston is, right? <laughs> your gut, your um, body's still like, we're disappearing. So sometimes do that and, and, and you'll still see people panic. And then other people who kind of go the other way, they're, they're scared and then they kind of get closer and they realize like, huh, I thought this would be worse, but I'm kind of still me. And... You know, especially, you know, we can't control everyone's pain, but a lot of people. So if they're getting good care and they're comfortable or maybe they're having like these meaningful interactions with people, they're like, you know what, I can do this. So it actually moves in both directions. I think the further you are from it, the more reassuring the religion is because you have this notion. But as you get closer, sometimes maybe it's it's, you know, it's that thing of who you are comes into play as well. And by the I way, there is, there, is no, there is nothing after you die in case anybody <laughs> doesn't know. Go ahead, go ahead. That's not, that's not true. Oh, um, do, do, do you find <laughs> that people who are terminally ill um, and have made peace with it, like, does that, at, with the, when the people around them, you know, I've, I've heard stories of friends of friends who have a terminal illness and have really you know, made peace with it in a way that 
perhaps is inconceivable to us. It does happen. I mean, does it happen to everyone? No, not at all. Um, but sometimes it happens and it's really incredible. And it doesn't mean the people around them aren't sad. And it doesn't mean they're thinking like, oh, yay, I'm dying. You know, like, I, I mean, I want to, you know, it's, it's not all butterflies and roses. Um, but there is a, a degree to which the tension in the room, so I've been in a lot of rooms with a lot of people who are dying, goes way down. And there is just a peacefulness and, and a, a bonding. And actually, speaking of comedy, in, in families or, or group friend groups where it's going really well, there's often when it's going that well and, and the person's come to terms with it, there's also some, some great humor in those moments, um, either among the people waiting or whatever. And, and I feel like, yes, that diffuses some of the tension, but it's also when they feel like we don't want this, but it's actually going pretty well, that, that people feel comfortable with each other and connected in a way that allows a humor that, that's pretty terrific. And that brings so, them further close together. So let me tell you, right. so uh, you'll, you'll like this, Dan. So, my, so I got to spend three months with my father in the hospital during the three months that he was dying. I slept there every night I, and, and it's exactly what you said. It was very, very important time, but there's a lot of humor, but Dan, Dean Obadala, I don't, I, I don't know, Louise, if you know, Dean Obadala, he's a, he's a, now he's like a liberal pundit, but he was a comedian at the time and he's a Palestinian and my father and he would always argue about Israel and Palestine anyway. And, um, Dean Obadala came to the hospital to visit my father and my father said, Dean, I'm dying of cancer. And Dean says, I know. And my father said, I always wish this would happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's close. Totally. You know, and then everybody calms down and you also have the release of the tension building up. It's perfect. Uh, it was so funny. That's awesome. <laughs> and he really and he really played it perfectly. So yeah, but so, so he was able to make jokes. So yeah, it was great. But he was something special. He was 72, which at the time seemed like an old man, but now it's like, ooh, that's kind of young to go. But he never seemed old. He, he, he was old, you know, he looked 72. But if, if he was in, if he took the exact same guy and had put it in a 30-year-old yeah. body, nobody would have ever detected right. that he was like, what's up with this 30-year-old? He seems weird. Oh, you know, we, before we go, we should actually talk about that because, um, uh, you know, Joe Biden's, how he's acting as an 80-year-old or 79, whatever. Is he 79? Is he 80? I, uh, I think he's 80. Yeah, yeah. Think um, he's 80. Public works this progress, is, process this, of like benches and stuff probably shouldn't be like free presidential run like <laughs> <laughs> for elderly welfare. Like, let's get you in a little playpen somewhere. <laughs> well, that's it. So, so it's, and that's it's, not even talking about what they've done to his face, which is well, so one time I One time I took, he was on a show this when he was running for president. He forgot to put his dentures in. And I, there was like the, fr anyway, I saw it. Anyway, so, um, and, and it's very, very political to talk about him, obviously, with his enemies. The more they hate Joe Biden, the more just merciless and, and low class and ridiculing they are of any little mistake he makes. And the more they love Joe Biden, uh, the more seemingly just insincere they are about, you know, denying that we're seeing an old man up there. My personal Definitely. opinion is that he's just he, he doesn't seem to have dementia. He seems to be kind of like my grandmother was when she hit her 80s, which was, you know, slowed down a lot, wouldn't be quick on the uptake on things, would be forgetful, certainly could have a 
totally normal conversation with her and enjoy her. And she'd remember the next day. She wasn't, she was not sick in the head, but she was old as opposed to someone like Fauci. Who or is, Pelosi. Or, well, They're fine. Well, I don't know Pelosi. Yeah, Pelosi seems fine, but Fauci really seems like this guy yeah. is is amazingly sharp at 83. He remembers the new pathogen. He remembers the stats. I mean, Joe mm -hmm. Biden is not doing that. Right. And, and um, Fauci can go out running every morning and buying that probably is not what he should be doing now. Yeah. And, and this <laughs> is the, the luck of the draw. I, I, I mean, I'm sure that the way you live your life contributes to yeah. it, but it's very much also the luck of the draw. And well, it's a uh, bigger well, contributor than genetics for most people. Actually. So had a what, what would you like to tell us about how we should look at Biden, how we should look at his uh, interpret his ability still to be the chief executive, despite the fact that he is obviously at least I, in my opinion, he's slowed down. If you disagree, so he's just say so. And all yeah, that no, stuff. no, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I think he's showing some some signs, you know, the way he walks, the, you know, there there are clear age changes in his um, movements, you know, thinking you can have no dementia and as your brain gets older. It's what you said about not remembering certain words. I've had that too. And it's incredibly annoying. Yeah. Um, I completely agree with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, so he, he's much older than we are. So he has it more so, and he might have it more so than some people. I think we as a society haven't figured out how to deal with that transition, which happens for different people at different times. Right. So an 80 year old Fauci is a different animal than an 80 year old, you know, somebody else. Um, and, and we haven't found a way uh, of doing that. You know, do you set there are cultures that say, let's just set this arbitrary cutoff, you know, and and you can look at it on the other end. Right. I mean, you have this crazy situation where I live in California. So at 18, you can go off to war and be killed, but you cannot buy a beer. Like, right. what the hell is that, right? So, so we pick these arbitrary ages and maybe we have to do that for older people too. Or maybe we have a series of tests like a driver's license thing, but that's a little awkward. I think we really don't know how to deal with it because this has not come up. It used to be the exception. And now, you know, look at what's happened with McConnell or Feinstein or, you know, you can do Trump even, um, you know, and then. And then, but age becomes the issue. Age should be part of the discussion, but also qualification for office. You know, crimes committed. You know, I'm, I'm in San Francisco, so imagine how that goes. You know, like, would you prefer someone who's a little slower or someone who's a criminal? You know, take your pick. Um, but I think we might sometimes be having the wrong conversations. And until we have ways of doing this, people have to police themselves better. I think people should maybe you know retire before they're embarrassing themselves or push out like go out on top and plan something to do next would you think that an age of 70 72 or something would be a good maximum age by statute or, or by constitutional uh for a president i think that might be young because presidents tend to be people of privilege and people of privilege tend to have longer health spans and there are tons of people in their 70s you know, running companies in office doing well. So, the, 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 so I'm the, not sure I would do it that young. The reason I would, um, what I would counter with there, and I don't know if you thought about it the way I'm thinking about it, is that at a certain point, it's not that they, they weren't healthy when they took office, but that the risk that would, and this happened probably yes. with Reagan. I've discussed this in articles, that, yeah. That in those years, 
right. that they, the, the likelihood that they would then begin to show the signs of, you know, cognitive decline, that's when it would recur. And to uncover it and to act on it is so fraught politically that it's right. not worth the risk because something terrible can happen after all. Yeah. Uh, so well, I think soon we're going to have ways of measuring you know, there, there are some things that are that are coming along that will make it easier to get a sense of what might happen in the next four years. I mean, Trump um, remembered those fine words, those five words, man, woman, camera, remember, giraffe. What were they, Dan? I, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the risk of dementia is low in your 60s and it's, it goes up, you know. So if you're going to make that argument, you know, is it? Is it 75? Is it 80? But you also have to think about what are the human resources, you know, that that you might be throwing away by picking an arbitrary age, you know, but you have to pick an average. But, but but you know, you know, what what we know, what what we know, what we know empirically from real life, I get what you're saying. And and that would be serious. But we what we actually know, at least what we've seen in our lifetimes, is that it's the opposite. You can't get these people off the stage. Oh, completely. And, and, it, and it's the young yes. human resources, which we're denying ourselves because speaking they're of age, so entrenched. Speaking of age limits, you know? yeah. speaking of age limits uh, Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, etc. cetera, uh, you pick the age limit. So my question to the younger generation, what is your upper limit on Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, etc.? If- oh my gosh. Well, sometimes just out of curiosity, I put it up to like 40 just to see <laughs> what it looks like for these guys. To crazy shot because it's a different pitch. <laughs> like the guys in their 20s are like, I want to have a little fun. But you see a guy. Well, because I'm also that I'm only, I'm seeing a guy who is in his 40s who has his thing set to see someone who's 24. And that's just a fascinating, <laughs> like anthropological. I'm not matching <laughs> with them, but I am enjoying like reading them because they're very they're writing essays because it's like they're trying to make a buzzer beater across the court shot you know what i mean before they hit 41 uh no but i'm i i'm dating mostly people in their late 20s early 30s i'd say but in terms of physical attraction i mean des bishop you can't deny is is a hot guy right (laughs) i mean yeah i mean intelligence is like incredibly attractive and i think that's like something you get as you get older so like i wouldn't rule out okay am i gonna regret saying this publicly i wouldn't rule out if there was a guy who was like in his 40s i'm not gonna say that would be impossible for me i don't know about dating but like but you know some guys do get better looking for sure Lori in house oh my gosh Uh, have you seen house i haven't seen i'm like i he he's probably 40 or 50 in that yeah, I'm sold. So, yes, to answer the question, yeah, yeah, yeah. That for sure could uh, work for me. Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. Yeah. No, I'm 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 good with that. Uh, Nicole, <laughs> well, this, is, this is not your expertise, but I, I will tell you I, I, the 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 way women look at older men is just completely different from the way men look at older women, unfortunately. But that's just that's just a fact of life. I, in my experience. Yeah, I can see on a dating app. Women will be like, why would they go higher than 40? But in but in terms of if they meet somebody in everyday life, like they will go much higher than they ever thought they would. And and they all without even a thought. I mean, we see it all the time. Women dating all, all much older men. Um, I think I believe this is also just in, in our DNA. Nicole, you're not obligated to respond uh, or add anything, but you certainly are welcome to do so at this time. 
Well, I haven't had a dating app in a minute, but this reminded me that in college, me and a few of my friends downloaded the Seeking Arrangement app, which is like the Sugar Daddy app or like the original one. And the second I opened it, the first face was that of an 80 year old man. And I immediately deleted it because I was like, this is not I don't need the tuition money that bad. It wasn't it was not Al Pacino. No, it wasn't. That's incredible. (laughs) Well, but that's but that was you were I mean. I can't imagine Nicole doing this, but it sounds maybe just like a lark, but that's like a cynical thing, a sugar day. I'm saying that when a when a 30 year old woman establishes a, a relationship a, a, in an organic way with a 55 year old man or a 25 year old, 55 year old man over the course of a few months, let's say that 25 year old woman will very often fall into attraction to that much older man and in a very natural way. And it's sincere. And the opposite mm-hmm. direction doesn't happen. Nearly, nearly as often. I guess it can mm-hmm. happen. It does happen, but yeah. Well, Not a dating my app best years are it. almost behind me, and uh, <laughs> 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 it sounds like I should. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. When I hit forty-five, I'm going to join a farm upstate with the other dogs, and uh... <laughs> I think I think the sexiest age for a man, I would say, forty. Any any comments? <laughs> <laughs> so numerical. I think it varies tremendously. Pardon. And also there are women who are like me. There really are women who are like older, who are still like, like massively attractive. Yeah, no, I get some in my office. I'm like, those are really your feet or those are really your breasts. I don't say this out loud, but you do. It's like, wow. (laughs) My my wife is 49. She's super hot. In my opinion. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I think we're done. Larry, uh, since you since you facilitated all this, is it is it something you you want to satisfy yourself with, or you, Larry, is Larry still there? Yeah, I'm here. here. I'm here. Wake up, Larry. Um, wait, yeah, wait. Yeah, no, I'm here. I was just uh, I was thinking about my options. Um, <laughs> I just you know in in the book you talk about uh, some of your clinical experiences and and going into uh, socioeconomically deprived areas and seeing patients. Um, and I was one, I mean, I know your dad was a doc as well. Mm-hmm. Did you get that kindness from him or do you have that naturally that, that I was such a noble focus in terms of your career to be visiting people in their homes? Yeah, no, he, um, you know, I don't know that it's noble. Like people often say that because of, because they can't imagine doing what I do, but I do it because I like it. Okay. Like, you know, my, my dad did, you know, he did research on animals and, and eye surgery and, you know, shoot me now. Like if I had to just deal with eyes and not the interesting <laughs> human being and sociocultural context around them, like boring, you know, it's like, it's like in being mortal, Atul Gawande has this thing about, you know, geriatrics, they just do whatever, like he does surgery on the thyroid, the thyroid is tiny, like he does it over and over again. I think we do what appeals to us. I mean, I, I love meeting different sorts of people. I mean, and, and I, I like making a difference that makes me feel good about me. It's interesting to me. So I really enjoyed that and much more than I would enjoy like being in the OR and like cutting people open. I mean, my first day, it's, this is in the book too. The first day on surgery, I was like, this is freaking amazing. The second day I was like, this looks just like yesterday. <laughs> you know, so you do what makes, you know, I don't think it's noble. I think it's just me. I just I also want to add <laughs> what I like. I'm such a fan that I'm about to start reading your short stories. So uh, <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> 
my first foray. <laughs> okay, well, that was great. Yeah, I thought so. Um, uh, thank you, Larry, for facilitating this. It turned out to be, I think, a good discussion. Yeah, that was fascinating. Um, I guess uh, podcast at comedyseller.com for comments, questions, suggestions, criticisms, and so on. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye.